Welcome to On The Mic, I'm Jake Lean. On today's episode, we have the US Mid-Amateur Champion, Lucas Michelle, joining us. Lucas is a 26-year-old, originally from WA, now residing in Melbourne. Over the last two seasons, he's had four top 10s in major events around the world as an amateur, including a runner-up in the Vic Amateur 2019. I want to welcome him to the show. Thanks for joining us, Lucas. No, thanks for having me, Jake. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, mate. Uh, it's great to chat with you. Very exciting times in, uh, in your life, in your golf career. So it's exciting that uh, we can have a chat about it. I, I want to start with your uh, uh, amateur career and the, your beautiful big win uh, last year in the US. Very exciting for you. How does it sound, uh, mid-amateur champion? Yeah, yeah, it was a it was a great win. Obviously, um, everything that that comes with it that I'm still waiting to experience. Um, but yeah, to have that title as a as a USGA champion, um, the USGA hosts some of the best events in the world with the US Amateur and yeah. and all that. And I know that the Americans over in the US, even just to play in a USGA event, that's a great privilege. So um, to be able to win. Um, win one is incredible and my name goes on a big uh, wall of fame they've got in the USGA uh, head offices in New Jersey so I'm yet to go visit that Um, but to see my name up against the wall with I mean all the US Open and um, US Amateur Champions and all of those is pretty pretty sweet so congratulations on the win mate that's epic also uh, for those playing at home uh, for those that don't know um, the event is one of the biggest in the world as an amateur competing. It's the mid-amateur event. It's called that because you've got to be over 25 years of age. Is that right? Yeah, that's, that's correct. Yeah, so there's a lot of guys that play it that maybe uh, had solid college careers but felt like they, they wanted to move into sort of normal sort of work. Mm. Um, whereas, and then there's a lot of other people that play it that may have had professional careers as a golfer um, and then reinstated their amateur status and, and still want to play competitive golf. So decide to play um, mid amateur golf, which is sort of a big thing over in the U S. So it's a pretty competitive event. I'd say it's probably not to the same level as U S amateur, but um, there's some very, very good players and some players, I think, I think someone did the numbers. It was about, I think two or 300, you know, PGA tour starts players that had played PGA tour events. Um, in the field of you know however many players it was so there was there was a few guys that had played on the pj tour and the web web tour so yeah yeah absolutely um strong fields and we'll get to that soon too but you know you touched on what it gives you uh that win and i'll I'll touch on that uh a u.s open invite Mm -hmm. um i know that uh it's not a necessity to get a u.s masters invite i know that's not one of the criteria Mm. but Normally, I think you'll get one. Yeah. And as we've seen, you have been given one. So that's yeah. epic in itself. That's so fantastic. Um, mm. And also, if you stay amateur for another year, I guess you get into the US amateur. Yeah. That, that tournament you talk about next year. So are, are you going to stay amateur after these events? Or are you going to turn pro? Or are you not sure yet? Well, my original plan um, was to play the Masters, play the US Open. Um, depending on how I played in those two, I'd probably look like I played really well like maybe made both cuts and placed quite highly I'd probably be able to get maybe some tour starts potentially so I would have turned pro for those but with how everything um, is panning out that all those plans are sort of um, changing like it's all very fluid I, I don't know what's going on so I've just got to sort of wait and see and and plan out my schedule. But yeah, the original plan was to turn pro sometime after the US Open, uh, potentially play the US Amateur, um, and then look at some qualifying schools, maybe Japan and Europe after that. But um, yeah, we'll see what what my schedule looks like now. I've got to wait and see. But I'll definitely now be waiting for um, both majors, obviously. And then after that, um, I'll have to figure it out. Yeah, well, the US Open is now, I think, played before the Masters this year. Um, yeah. So that's that's interesting men, men, mentally to sort of figure that out too. And I yeah. think it's at Wingfoot, which is, like, yeah. you know, is that uh, Jeff Ogilvie's it is, yeah. uh, win too. So that's uh, hopefully the, the world's aligned there. So that, that'll be yeah. pretty cool to play um, something you've sort of watched on TV before and Jeff Ogilvie winning. Yeah, I actually watched the uh, 
Foxtel had a little hour-long um, little segment on Jeff's win there. They showed the last three or four holes played, and it was cool to see it and knowing that yeah, um, that's where I'll be playing. Um, yeah, that's awesome. I, I've actually been to Wingfoot. I've played the course there. I played it a couple of years ago um, well, during one mm. of my little trips over to the US playing amateur golf. I managed to have a round there. So I've had a little early scout visit to, to see, um, see a little bit about the course. What do you think of the course? course? What do you think of it? Well, from the, from the, I think we played, I don't know if we played the very, very back tees. We probably played just like the, the member sort of back tees, like the blue tees. But, um, I mean, it wasn't that difficult, you know, without the rough way up and um, without it playing at its full length. It was still a tough golf course, demanding off the tee. And, and you can see how it is so difficult um, in those US Opens. But when I played it, it was very fair and, um, yeah, very enjoyable. So, yeah, yeah, nice. Time there. Yeah, nice, mate. And yeah, you touched on um, you've been. I, I looked at looked it up. The last sort of four years or so, you've had a lot of trips um, over to the US and actually into Europe uh, to play mm. big amateur events. So, how has that sort of experience uh, helped your game and, and your progress as an amateur and maybe into the pro ranks a bit later? Yeah, so I've been going overseas for yeah, like you said, probably three, four, five years now. Um, my first trip over was. I actually sort of, I went over to Europe uh, for a exchange with my university. So I went to, I actually studied at the University of St. Andrews in Scotland for oh, six nice. months, which was pretty unreal. Um, yeah, yeah. So I spent six months there and obviously getting exposed to, to different conditions, different golf courses, links courses, mm. um, more wind, even though we do get quite a bit of wind in Melbourne, uh, the wind on the coast there in Scotland is pretty brutal. So yeah, um, sure. definitely getting that sort of exposure makes your game a little bit more rounded and, and, and it's definitely uh, yeah, valuable for, um, for future if I want to take uh, my goal further. So um, that's, that was great. And then, yeah, like, like you said, every, every year after I've been um, overseas and last two or three years, it's been mainly to the U S just the events over there are so competitive and the number of good players you've got to compete against. Um, some of those yeah. amateur events like, you know, uh, the Southern Amateur, the Western Amateur and all those, they're probably stronger fields than a lot of pro events um, around the world. So yeah, sure. You're sort of teeing up your game against some of the best players in the world, even if they are, they are still classified as amateurs. Um, it's great because normally when I go over there, it's winter here and there's nothing on. So to be yeah. able to get sort of year round tournament uh, practice is great. Absolutely. And, and do you like uh, the sort of windier, more link style, style courses or what's your favorite type of course to play when you compete? Mm. I sort of, I sort of struggle a little bit in the U S generally. Um, I don't think my game is super suited to U S conditions. It was kind of funny to win the U S mid amateur. Um, mm. But the course we played was set up very much like a sandbelt course. It was really right. firm. It was quite yeah. wide um so i felt really at home there um but your typical us parkland kind of long rough narrowish fairways lots of trees hasn't really suited my game in the past i've sort of struggled on those sort of courses um whereas i probably have felt a little bit more home at a lynx style golf course um i'm probably i'd say i'm sort of longer than average off the tee and maybe a little bit wayward so mm -hmm. um yeah, the tight tree line courses probably aren't my favourite. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, fair but, enough. But, you know, got to get used to that sort of stuff because a lot of tournaments are played on those those courses. So to get that experience in the US is pretty valuable. Yeah, excellent. Well, coming back to that mid-am, um, it's, uh, I think, 4,000 entries come into that event every year. And I mm. think 234 get in the field. And uh, our boys come out on top. So... Um, <laughs> I mean, that's quite amazing in itself too. So talk me through the setup of, of these events. Is there like a stroke play, match play component? Um, do you like that format? Talk us through the format of the actual championship. Yeah, so when you say there's 4,000 and something or other entrants, they have a qualifying series um, yeah. where there's a bunch of one-day qualifiers. Um, there might be, you know, 60, 70 players in the field and mm -hmm. four players get into the field, um, that sort of thing. And they have them around the US. Um, fortunately, I was exempt 
through that stage um, based on my world amateur ranking. So I didn't have to worry about qualifying into the field, which was great. Um, it Is that, that like a top 100 or something? or top? Yeah, it was, yeah, I think it ended up being the top 30 ranked mid-ams. Okay. Got into the field. Um, cool. Yeah, so I made it in through that. Um, yeah, so then after that, obviously, you get automatically into the field. So I knew I was into that stage. So for me, um, it was worthwhile to travel all the way to the US, um, even just for that opportunity to play in that event. Because, you know, at the end of the day, there's a US Open and Masters, <laughs> yeah. you know, likely Masters invite um, yeah, sure. coming with it. So, yeah. Um, and then after that, the 230-odd players um, play... Uh, two-stroke play rounds and then it's mm -hmm. match play after that top 64 um, so I haven't had a lot of success in match play tournaments to be honest um, the Aussie amateur I I always seem to draw a really good player early on <laughs> yeah. so um, I think I was maybe overdue for a, a good little run in and yeah sure. um, fortunately my game got better and better as the week went on and um, yeah. played really well and ended up winning so what did you qualify from the straight play rounds? I think I qualified tied 34th or something like that. So right. pretty much bang in the middle. Um, yeah, it was not a bad place to qualify. And like I said, I, I felt like I got a pretty nice run in. I played well, but I didn't get anyone that played out of their skin like you sometimes sure, do. Sure, sure. Um, and then I, I played a really good player in the semi-final, um, Stuart Hagerstad, who he'd won the tournament two years, two or three years before and played the US Open the last three years by qualifying in. So he's just an outstanding player. Um, right. And played probably my best goal for the week to beat him, which was which was awesome. And then, yeah, got into the final and, and played well again. So that semi-final, did you, uh, was it close all day or did you, were you on fire and you sort of blew him away a bit or how, how did that? So my, my caddy actually is an, he was an American guy. He played in the tournament as well and, yeah, right. And he, um, he actually played Stuart Hagerstad in the first round of match play and got knocked out by him. Um, so Will, Will Davenport's his name, he, um, he told me, you know, this guy, he, he got up on me early and I, couldn't, I just couldn't fight back. And that's what he'd done all week to all his other opponents. I don't think he'd ever right. been down at any point in any of his matches. So Will sort of told me, you know, you've got you to gotta step on this guy early and try and get him try and put him in an unfamiliar position. Yeah, nice. And thankfully I did. Like I played really, really well the first nine, the first seven or eight holes, I was three under and it was blowing a gale. Um, so I was three up there and then held on for dear life for the rest. Um, he actually got to one up. Uh, he clawed it back to one up, I think, with four holes to play. And then he made a couple of mistakes coming in and made a nice birdie on 16 and, and yeah, that, the rest was history. I ended up winning two up. So that was a, a tough battle. And, and I had a few close encounters before that. But um, yeah, that was a good one to win. So nice inside intel into the Yeah, That's yeah good. Will, Will was very helpful there. Yeah, I'm sure he takes some credit for it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he does. <laughs> um, and yeah, that, that gets you into the final. Now, you played a guy called Joseph Duraney. Now, Obviously, most people at home probably wouldn't know this guy, but I had a look at his record leading up to the tournament. And I'm not sure if you know, knew how hot he was, but in the previous five events, he'd won three of them, came second in the other one. And I, I don't know what he did for the third, fourth, fifth, but it didn't matter. He, he was on fire, this man. So yeah. how, how was the mentality going into the last match? Did you know that he was you know, running that hot? Or? I don't know. I think, I think I kind of in my head was like, trying not to think too much about things and not yeah, looking sure. into too many people. Like yeah. I obviously knew that Stuart Hagerstad was a good player, mm. but in my mind, you know, he was clearly the best player in the field when in actuality, Joseph might've been the hottest player coming in. Um, and certainly the, the first 18 or 27 holes, Joseph showed that he was the hottest player coming in because he played flawless. He hit the ball so well. I've never seen someone hit it so straight and long. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. yeah, he was a great ball striker. I could tell his putting maybe could let him down a little bit. Right. He hadn't missed anything silly, but he hadn't made anything. Um, Why is that a trend? Why is that a trend with good ball strikers? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't know. I guess, <laughs> I guess he'd be on tour otherwise. <laughs> well, yeah, it's, uh, it's quite amazing, yeah. isn't it? Um, yeah, yeah, you're true. And, you know, keep going with that. He, he, uh, yeah, he hit it so, mid and then... 
Yeah, he was just flushing it. I was mm. putting the dots off it all day. Um, yeah. Still hitting it okay, but nothing special. And then sort of with nine holes to play or maybe 10 holes to play, I think he was still three up. So he had a fairly good lead um, coming down the stretch. And then he started making a couple little mistakes. And mm. Will and I sort of was, he was, Will was sort of telling me, hang in there, bud. Like, mm-hmm. this guy's going to eventually, you can't keep doing this forever. Um, yeah, although. About Joseph it. was probably saying that about my putting as well, and I kept pulling putts. But um, yeah, he uh, he hit a few bad shots coming in. I made a few nice birdies. We both birdied fourteen, then I birdied fifteen and sixteen um, to win those yeah. two holes, and that got it up all square, or maybe one up. I think one up. Oh no, that that was sorry, that was two up to me. And then it was Dormy Dormy two up, and I I there was a short little d- downhill par three. I hit nine iron, he hit wedge, wedge down there and I left myself 30 feet and um, he hit it quite close um, and sort of knew if I two-putted, that put the pressure on him and I'd be a good chance of winning. And I sort of lagged it up there to three feet, not quite guinea range, just that nervous knee knocker. And, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And he, uh, he missed his. Um, and there was actually a funny incident. I don't know if you read about it or... Uh, looked into it no, but um on yet. the last screen for whatever reason he took his hat off to shake my hand um and oh, then right yeah and then i guess either realized that that he'd made a mistake or, or what but he shook my hand and then's gone oh wait no 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 sorry it's not good it's not good <laughs> oh my god <laughs> yeah so you've got three foot and he's sort of come over to sort of say, look, I'll give it to you and while yeah. I'm going in. And then he's realized that, hang on, I won't give it to you. Yeah. So me and my caddy were like, <laughs> oh, hold on a minute. Like we, we were like, he's done this on purpose, I think. Cause oh we thought, we thought God. he did it intentionally. Just the way he said it and the way it came across, we thought it was an intentional maneuver to try oh, and throw me off. Oh my God. Um, but I'm sure Joseph probably didn't mean that. I don't know. I don't know what was going through his head, um, but it definitely threw me, um, and I had to hold a three footer. So did you did you win. have a rules visual to come over and say, or did you talk about it? Or what well, happened? it was funny because he, we, I think we both took our, our hats off. We definitely shook hands, but as he was saying it, he was like, "Oh no, 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 it's not good." So in the meantime, the rules official was thinking it's done. So he's coming over ready with the trophy, and I'm like, "Oh no, 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 no!" Like I. I had to wave off the, the rules official to say, no, 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 it's not good. It's not good. So, Oh, man. It was I a mean, really awkward finish. Yeah. I mean, it's, yeah, uh, that sounds pretty ordinary. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, I, but I guess in one, in one sense to go back and say, you know, you know I'm going to hold this on you anyway and, you know, yeah. s- stuff, yeah, it might have been a... Because yeah. I know that I, I, I did see the reaction when you hold it. You, you ran yeah. straight to uh, your the caddy. caddy. Yeah, and uh, you left him. Heck, it's up. I don't know if you did that on purpose, but I, 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 mean, I actually noticed that. I noticed that yeah, you didn't shake him first. And there was you, probably a little, little bit of intentional, yeah, move there. Like the yeah. way I kind of, the impression I got from Joseph was that he was maybe trying to do something. Um, yes, yeah, so I wanted effort. to. Yeah, I wanted to embrace the man that was with me all day rather yeah. than him initially. Um, well, well, that makes but a yeah. lot more sense to me. I, 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 that puts it into context. Um, yeah. not, not that it was a bad thing that you did. Oh, don't get me wrong, but no. it just, it makes it a, little a little bit funny. more sense watching it. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Um, yeah. That, that is, that is an interesting, um, yeah. story. I, I can't believe that, but uh, good on you. You got him in the end. Um, yeah. And yeah, I think he said afterwards um, that you, it, it sounded a bit poor me, but yeah, you putted the lights out. And he's never seen anyone putt that good and, yeah you know so obviously it hurt him <laughs> yeah so, yeah uh, whenever you're playing someone that you know flushes it and then yeah. somehow you beat them with your putting it always feels a bit arsy and you feel like you've yeah, yeah. sort of stolen it away from them so um, nah, but it. i don't know i'll take it <laughs> absolutely yeah so you were yeah three down think twice in the last 36 because the final's obviously 36 holes so mm. um Talk us through your mindset when you were getting three down. Um, you talked about momentum before, and I think that's um, undervalued mm. in in something, even stroke play. I think if mm. you can just 
build on on some pressure for you. I think that's huge for your opponent, um, especially coming yeah. out of the stretch. So t- talk us through your three down scenarios and your m- mindset coming into that yeah. scenario. Yeah, I guess my main my main sort of thoughts whenever I was was down was to not not let the opportunity leave. You know, like this could be my only chance to play the Masters in US Open, a couple mm-hmm. of the best events in the world and a childhood dream to play those events, you know. Sure. Um, and to let that opportunity slip away would be incredibly disappointing. So yeah. I sort of had to, every time I was sort of trending downwards, I had to sort of tell myself, just, just don't let this opportunity slip. You know? So the motivation came from the Masters in the US Open? I'd say so, yeah. Mm. I mean... It was great chatting to to Will. Will was great all week on my bag, and um, and it was sort of funny. Before the final, my intentions were to turn pro straight after the mid am, assuming I didn't win. Right, right. And for me, all week, I felt like I was really excited to come back home, turn pro, play pro golf, um, regardless of the outcome of the week. Um, and it was only it was only when I got to the final that I kind of had to reassess my goals and go, hold on a minute. Yeah, that was a lot. Winning winning the US <laughs> winning the US Mid Am and playing the Masters in US Open is a better outcome than turning pro and playing some Aussie Tour events for a few months. So, uh, yeah, I think so, mate. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it was funny, but yeah, like I said, those first few rounds of match play, there was definitely like it felt like a win-win scenario for me if I won. I'm through to more match play stages and if I lost I'm going home and I'm turning pro but then yeah obviously having to get my mindset more into a uh, a win-lose situation in the final sort of yeah it was a bit of a kick, kick up the ass to try and to try and fight back I think yeah it's good to have a good mate on the bag too because like, golf's a lonely sport and I don't think mm. people understand how lonely it can be so it's important to have a good team around you and, and definitely um, having a a, a nice friend on the bag definitely helps yeah. that situation. But yeah, you, you stormed home, birdie four of the last eight, got him. Yeah. Took his hand eventually. Good on you, mate. And <laughs> then, um, so you're the first international winner as well. So I think that's mm. um, another cool little record you've got. Yeah. It, it was obviously really cool to be that, that person that, that mm. broke the, the U S streak that they had in that event. That's like um, 36 years. I think, uh, I think it's, yeah. Yeah, I think it's just I probably more reflects on the strength of mid-am golf in the US. Mm. Like I was saying, like all those guys that reinstate their amateur status or, or guys that played college golf. I mean, there's a lot of good players that played college golf that didn't make it out on tour. So that a lot of those guys are still playing competitive stuff. Um, yeah, so it's it's strong over there. Um, and yeah, it was great to to be that first one to break the trend. All right, mate. Well, let's we're gonna talk about the Masters. Um, <laughs> so. Uh, I hear you've already experienced uh, the track. Mm. Uh, talk talk us through the preparation that you had, and then is the preparation changing now that it's obviously changed? Did you feel like that's an opportunity to change something up, or did you feel like you're on the right track with how you're preparing for the for the track? Yeah, so I I went over in December. Um, I only had I sort of mapped out my schedule, um, so I won the mid am in September, and then got my invite sort of January, but I knew I was in the club, let me know that I was in the tournament and that I could come practice sort of whenever. And that was in November. Um, So I mapped out my, yeah, I mapped out my schedule. Was that an email or how did they tell you? I think there was an initial like info letter that didn't include the invitation. And then there was, I think an email follow up as well. Um, But yeah, I managed to find a little time in the schedule between a few events. So I played the Aussie open and then, three or four days later I flew out to the U S and spent a week over there, uh, three days at Augusta. Um, Just sort of scoping out the course, getting used to the conditions and it was softer and slower than I'll I'll see it in, in whenever the tournament happens. But um, it was good to just visualize some of the tee shots and see the sort of shots I need to play. Um, Mm. And I was able to go back home sort of, with that in mind to sort of fine tune my game for the upcoming months. Sure. Um, and which between talk, talk about, talk about that. Is it uh, um, more like a shot shaping? What, what sort of shot do you feel like you need to work on for skill wise? Yeah. I felt like definitely being comfortable hitting a draw is paramount. Right. 
they're like there's a lot of tee shots that where if you can hit a nice draw you get a big advantage yeah sure. um the second hole of 13th you know 10 you name it. yeah 10 there's a bunch of holes where if you can mm. hit a little crispy draw it, it helps a lot <laughs> <laughs> um so yeah i guess that's been one thing and probably the other thing it's it is they talk about, you know, rural Melbourne being a second shot golf course. And I think Augusta's a lot like that as well. You, yeah. The precision of your iron play needs to be spot on because if you're leaving yourself with 40, 50 foot putts or difficult mm. up and downs, it's not easy. So mm. just ensuring my, my iron play is really sharp. Um, they were sort of a couple of things. And actually, I've been seeing a coach in the US um, when I'd been back and forward, a guy called Dana Dahlquist um, in LA. Yep. And um, I went and saw him after my mid-am win. And then I went and saw him in December as well. So he's more than anyone I've ever um, got lessons from. He's super technical and, and I kind of like that. I've got a, an engineering background and I'm fairly curious about that sort of stuff. So um, for me, knowing how uh, the swing golf, the golf swing works. Um, I really love that. And sort of being able to almost self-coach in a way is really important to me. Um, yes, yeah. Yeah, so I went and saw him on the way back home and, and we sort of put together a little bit of a timeline, a plan of what I was going to work on um, leading up to the Masters. But it was tricky because I had so many tournaments in January and February, um, Aussie summer, obviously. So um, had to sort of fit it all in couldn't really do too much technique work in that period um but it's sort of funny now because now i've got the perfect opportunity um with no tournaments on can't even go go out to the golf course and play holes um now is actually a perfect time to work on that stuff that we were working on so mm -hmm. certainly the plans and the um the preparation has changed a bit but um in a good way sort of taking it as a bit of an opportunity yeah mm. to work on stuff that i wouldn't otherwise have had the opportunity to work on sure and and just generally with your golf game um what, what's your sort of tendencies that you know in terms of um what do you tend to work on what's your weaknesses that you'd like to sort of keep on top of in your game yeah, it's funny as a kid i always felt like i was a pretty good ball striker and mm -hmm. i sort of for some reason as, as i got older it kind of was never as good as I'd hoped it to be. And, mm. and, and it was funny because leading into the probably 12 or 18 months ago, um, my short game was horrible. My chipping and putting and my ball striking was still pretty good. Right. Um, and then in the last 12 months, my chipping and putting has gotten so much better, but I feel like my ball striking has fallen off. <laughs> so it's like a That's seesaw, you know, golf, mate. Golf. It's just, it always like that. So yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. at the moment, <laughs> I am doing a fair bit more work on golf swing mm -hmm. um, stuff. Well, particularly at the moment, um, but leading into tournaments, if I want to work on getting my ball striking better, I'll sort of throw away the technique stuff, not yeah. worry too much about that in the maybe leading two, three, four weeks. Yes. And just try and find some feels that I can use on course. Um, but it'll be a bunch of, you know, a bunch of playing holes, playing golf holes. Yeah. I'd rather that over hitting a thousand balls on the range. But if I do go to the range, it'll be your shot shaping drills to targets and more stuff that's less based around technique and more based around hitting shots. And yeah, visualization. And visualization. And like yeah, exactly. So yeah. Um, that was sort of where I was trending in, in February, March, was hitting a few more balls in the range just with shot shapes and trajectories and low, mids, highs, draws, fades, straights, that sort of stuff. Yeah. Um, but then also just playing a lot more holes. Um, mm -hmm. And I felt like my putting was in a really good position. Um, so I didn't, didn't really have to worry too much about that. And my chipping and bunker play is pretty solid. So I just needed to yeah fine tune the, the driving and nine play. And that would have been sweet, I think. Yeah, for sure. I mean, yeah, leading back to Augusta, that's it's so important, isn't it? The chipping and putting and, and the approach mm. shots. And, and yeah. you know, you watched Tiger last year. Um, and uh, he's so good at positioning his ball, isn't he? We, coming down mm. the stretch, he didn't get the one on 16, he hit to you know, yeah. three feet, but he just knew where to position the ball so he, can, he wouldn't make a mistake. And yeah, it was yeah, even impressive. coming up 18 there, like just to, to miss the green right where he did and have that yeah. easy pitch shot in. Like Use it was just, <laughs> yeah, he, he just played it perfectly. And he hit his 
I mean, he's one of he's probably the best iron player of all time. So, um, watching where he's sort of positioning his balls into greens and stuff like that was pretty valuable for someone like me that's going to be playing there, hopefully. So, yeah, well, well, yeah. Uh, hope hopefully you can somehow draw him in, in one of the rounds. <laughs> that'll be fantastic. But yeah, that uh, would be pretty cool. Which uh, which holes did you like the the most over there? Which which like do you which hole do you sort of feel like? You love mm. looking at the most, or even playing. It doesn't have to be a playing yeah. hole that you like. Just which there was hole? a few. There was a few holes that like you don't see very much on TV. Like I think three, the short par four, is a really good hole. Yeah. Um. You know, it's a tricky pitch shot wherever you hit the fairway. Like I was speaking to my caddy when I was over there, and he was sort of saying, you know, some guys lay up here, but he just didn't see the point in laying up because right. it's a hard shot with a pitching wedge into the green. So um, why would you? You might yeah. as well get to 40, 30, 50 meters out. So, yeah, um, yeah that was a cool one. The, just to sort of see that little pitch shot, you got to hit into that grain, you got to be so precise. Um, and I'd say you'd have to be on the fairway there too, because I, know, I noticed when you run off into the rough, it's, it's a trickier yeah. shot. Yeah, so if you, and it depends on where the pin's located. So it's like a, it's like a reflected L shaped grain. It kind of, yeah. It's got a front left little finger and a back right finger. Yeah, it looks tough. And yeah, you've got a if you if the pin's way left, you could either hit it as far right as you can and sort of try and hit one that soft little flop shot that sort of lands middle of the green and rolls down to the pin, or you mm. can go as far left as you want and sort of play more up the level of the green. It's right. And then back right pin's almost the opposite strategy. So it's just a really cool hole. And then obviously like 13 is a great hole. Yeah. Um, the tee shot you've got to hit there to, if you want to get on like a flat lie, um, you've got to hit this perfect bomb draw over the trees. <laughs> um, but if you sort of bail out, you could have this really tricky sort of long iron into the green that sort of yeah. slopes the other way to where you want to hit it. So it's really... Um, yeah, it's really cool. It sounds like a fun track. It just, oh, yeah. Not only how impressive it looks, um, yeah. but yeah, it just sounds like a really fun track to play. Yeah, it's one of the best. It's got to be one of the best courses in the world. Like, yeah. even with all the money they've got to make it yeah. perfect condition, like even if it wasn't in perfect condition, it'd still be a great fun track to play all the time. Does 12 look as impressive as it does on TV? Like just being on the tee and looking down and you can see 11 over there on the left. Yeah. It's probably that the little walk where you round the corner on 11 mm. and then you see like 12 in the background and yeah, yeah. like, that's probably like the revealing moment of the course where yeah. everything sort of becomes real. You're like, Oh shit, I'm actually at Augusta. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's crazy. Um, yeah. Yeah. 12, 12 is awesome. I mean, that green's so much shallower. Um, front to back and like it's got to be I mean it's sort of on a diagonal but I'd say like the actual depth of that green is probably only eight or nine meters so you got to be so precise with your club selection and when they talk about the wind you know swirling as it does um, I definitely got a bit of an experience of that when I was there as well so um, makes the club selection so tough yeah, nice. Um, so I want to head back to just after you mid and you came back and, and obviously got some invites into um, the uh, Aussie Tour Pro events. Uh, I think, mm. did you play three events uh, towards the end of the year? Uh, yeah, I played, yeah, I played the WAPGA, played the WA Open, which was, yeah. um, it's a Pro-Am series event. It was last year just because mm. um, I think the purse wasn't big enough to be a tour event. Um, and then I played New South Wales Open and Aussie Open. So, yeah, four in the end. So, yeah, and the Aussie Open, you did pretty well too. You came in, I think, 21st. Um, mm. Was that your first sort of uh, few tournaments as a prof like in, in the professional ranks that you've played? Yeah, I'd played a couple Vic Opens um, because I was a state team member. And yeah. um, before the Vic Open um, was a European Tour event, um, the state mm. team would get a start in the Vic Open. So... Oh, cool. Um, I played that a couple times and, you know, I think I made the second round cut there once and, mm -hmm. and then missed the third round cut. So I'd sort of hadn't played great in pro events. Um, mm -hmm. But then, yeah, obviously the place 21st um, in the Aussie Open was definitely my best result in a pro event. It sort of gave me a bit of confidence um, that my game was sort of trending in the right direction that I could sort of 
potentially do yeah do something with my golf for sure mm. so um yeah that was really cool i i i didn't draw any like outstanding groups but to be you know three or four groups back from the lead i think i was coming tied ninth um through two rounds so i, I played pretty close to the end of the day on saturday which was yeah pretty cool and teeing off with a fairly big crowd and, yeah nice buzz um yeah it was really cool to be a part of um, did, so i really enjoyed that did you feel a bit of a different pressure when when you're in a pro event or because you're an amateur and there's no money on the line do you feel like it's pretty similar yeah i mean it definitely felt bigger as mm. as an event um yeah. but yeah without the financial incentive they're probably yeah. i'm sure that'll feel different i haven't had that experience yet but um i'm sure that'll feel a little bit different um especially if you know you're coming with how steeply the the, the money kind of drops off in yeah. in pro events like you know 10th place versus 30th is maybe only three or four shots but it's a lot of money so i'm sure that pressure will, will come to me when i make the decision to turn pro <laughs> Yeah, when you're over a birdie or par putt in the last, you know, there's like five, ten grand riding on or something yeah. like that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. So uh, how, well, how, do you, how are you going to prepare for that then? I think I'll probably just try and keep it similar. I think, yeah. I, I, think I dealt with it pretty well at the mid-am. I mean, I think that's a, as much pressure as, as any dollar amount. I mean, to play the Masters in US Open is almost priceless in terms of, you know, for a good player to play those those events would be a lot of guys that would pay a lot of money to have that opportunity. So um, I think I dealt with the pressure pretty well there. Um, I was doing a little bit of like mindfulness sort of meditation stuff throughout the week. And Mm -hmm. I've sort of kept doing that since Uh, I think that really helps. I haven't really seen any sports psychs like personally, I've, I've sort of read a couple books and um, you know, Nico Hearn's book and yep. Pia Nielsen, she's got one. Um, so I've read a couple of books and I kind of prefer learning a lot of that stuff myself. Um, but, you know, if, if I had the opportunity or, or felt like I needed to, I'm sure I, I would um, go see a psych if I felt like that was necessary. But at the moment, I'm just sort of trying not to change too much and feel like I dealt with it well when it, when it came up. So Talk about the mindfulness though, that stuff you're doing with meditation. How did you get into that? Is that part of reading? Yeah the books or how did you sort of get into that sort of thing i had a friend at at uni actually um and he was a 800 meter runner mm-hmm. and he introduced me um to one of the apps that he was using um it's actually an australian app i've actually forgotten the name but <laughs> um, which is bad but um i started using that mm. um a couple of years ago but didn't really end up taking it too seriously until sort of last year and then just sort of would do just the body scan ones. I just felt like before around a golf, particularly ones where I was feeling a bit more anxious. Like I wouldn't do it on a regular hit at Metro because yeah, sure. I'm, I'm not feeling you know, overly worried about that. But general tournaments, I'd sort of sit down before I left home and just sort of do five minutes of a body scan mindfulness sort of stuff. Mm, mm. Um, Cause it just felt like it's just sort of reset my mind and body just to a position where I felt relaxed and that I could, perform my best um and then it was funny because when i went over to colorado i stayed with a family um it was sorted out through a member at my home club at metro uh, metropolitan mm. golf club um and it was a mutual friend and i stayed with them they had a nice guest room in their house in denver um and it was about 25 minutes 30 minutes from the course and the the lady the the wife the husband she was um really like spiritual Right. And she sort of got me to get even more into the mindfulness stuff that week. Yeah. Um, so she was great, actually. I, pr- I probably wouldn't have won without them, I don't think. I think they got me feeling really relaxed. And they actually didn't know anything about golf, um, mm-hmm. which was even better because when I went back after, after I'd won, you know, the quarterfinal or whatever, we'd just chat about stuff that wasn't golf. Mm. Um, so mm. I got my mind off, off everything. I slept really well the night before the final and, um, and then did a little bit of mindfulness at the club in the locker room before I teed off. And yeah, it was sweet. Yeah, absolutely. I, I'm massive in that sort of area of the game. And, um, you know, I think the preparation is key, you know, mentally and physically. So, you know, mm. if you're not quite on mentally or you're a bit off physically, you know, golf is such a physical sport, uh, mm. as you know, and there's not much difference between, you know, doing well and not doing well. So yeah. um, I think you're on the right track there, man. It sounds like it's yeah. helped you. So it, it has, it has a lot. 
Yeah, that's nice to know, mate. Um, mm. Cool. Well, I just want to briefly touch on getting into the game as well. You're a member at Metro, which is cool on the sand belt, one of the best places mm. in the world to play your golf. But uh, take us through your younger days. Um, where did you, you grew up in WA, so did you start playing golf early or how did that work? Yeah, I mean, it was a funny way to get into the game because neither of my parents played none of my relatives really played um but i had a neighbor who was he was a big golfer he was about a scratch handicap he was quite a good player um he gave me a cut down club when i was four that his son had grown out of and so i got it off him um started whacking it around the backyard and my mum saw it and she said oh it's too dangerous you can't be doing that so she takes it away from me and i'm like loving it and then she takes it away and then for the next three years i kind of forgot about it mum and then I found it in their wardrobe Right. Um, three years later when I was seven. Right. Got it out again, started whacking it, had a bit more skill this time and managed to like hit the ball like decently in the backyard. Not that big of a backyard, but could sort of just chip it around and hit some shots. And then I actually hit it over the house into the neighbor's house, the same neighbor who gave me the, uh, the club initially. Um, yeah. And then, and then I, I was hooked. Like I told my mom, like, next birthday mum and dad i told them that i wanted mm. some golf clubs nice and so they got me like a super cheap set from like toys r us or somewhere yeah um went down to the school and was hitting balls around the school like in the like after school with my dad um and then he sort of saw that i was actually pretty decent at it and started, sort of got some clinics at a local driving range and then occasionally would play like nine holes after school there and mm, mm. And then eventually at the same time, my parents were sort of looking, looking, keeping their eyes peeled for like junior programs at clubs. Cause I was like eight or nine and yeah. um, sort of wanted to play a bit more like sort of almost like comp golf. Um, and then there was a course in Perth. You would have heard of it, Lake Karen up country club um, and really good course. They've got a short uh, nine hole path raise and four course. And they had a really good sub junior program. So I got involved in that luckily um, my parents just rang up and it was mainly for sons and daughters of members, but um, they managed to sneak me into it somehow. Yeah, no. um, and fortunately it was about a minute from our house, the course. So oh, yeah. I started playing sub junior golf there until I was 12 or 13 and then properly joined as a junior member mm. and was playing some junior tournaments and, and all that. And I think I got down to like single figures when I was 12 um, and then was off scratch when I was like 15 or 16 and then sort of, yeah was playing really competitive golf, played a couple of junior state series for um, WA. And, and, and then, yeah, when I finished school, I'd always been pretty big on my academics. My parents sent me to a really good school. Mm-hmm. They, sort of, they sort of spent every, every penny they had to send me to a really good school. And then I yeah. sort of didn't want to waste their money in a way. So I was focusing on my school in my last, uh, last couple of years at school. I was focused on my academics. And then yes. sort of thought about college golf, um, but my golf probably wasn't quite good enough to get into some of the colleges that I had my sights set on. Sure, um, sure. So Melbourne seemed like a good, sort of really good option to keep developing my golf and sure. um, get a really good degree too. So that's what that's what I ended up doing. So you moved to Melbourne. Uh, when, mm. what, how old were you when you moved to Melbourne? I was eighteen, so straight after yep. straight after high school, moved to Melbourne. Metro was a reciprocal club of Lake Carinup. Oh yeah, um, perfect. Yep. So joined through How through that arrangement. That? Yeah, it was so good. <laughs> um, although Carinup had uh, had Royal Melbourne and and Kingston Heath too, so I had a pretty oh, good selection. You're kidding. But um, Metro were just great to me when I when I came. They had a really good set of young guys there. Yeah, sure. I felt like Royal and Kingston Heath didn't quite have that set up when I was coming over. Did Marty Steele look after you, mate? Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> Marty was there when I when I arrived. Shout out to Marty. Yeah, um, shout out to Marty. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, and yeah, I just, I just, I've loved it ever since living in Melbourne. Um, just opportunities for golf and had a really good time at university as well. And to do that exchange to St Andrews in Scotland through through Melbourne's um, University of Melbourne's arrangement there was just incredible. So I've had yeah a lot of good opportunities. Oh well, it sounds like the academic came to the fore then uh, with the exchange. Then that sounded like a fun. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that was awesome, doing that six months abroad. Mm. I wasn't doing too much studying in that six months. It was mainly golf. Mm. Um, you know, living in the town of St Andrews, we had a deal where I think I paid 200 pounds at the beginning of the year. And that gave me access to 
the old course, new course, all the courses nice. in St Andrews for a full year. Didn't have to pay a cent after that two hundred pounds. So how um, was St Andrews, mate? Yeah, incredible. Mm. I love the town. I met so many cool people as well. Like people I'll you know have connections with for the rest of my life. Um, yeah, it's a great industry. You know, yeah, so I've had people you know come down to Melbourne because Melbourne's a pretty big sort of destination for golf travel and that. And I've had a bunch of friends come down and play Metro with me from that I met when I was over there. And um, yeah, it's, it's awesome to have to know those people. Yeah. Nice. And uh, did you, did you find a coach when you got to Melbourne or ha- ha- who'd you work with? Uh, yeah. There? Yep. So i when I moved across, um, chatted to a few people in Perth and they recommended um, the Yarra Bend um, Van Lynch um, yep. sort of guys. Yep. So initially for the first sort of five or so years, I worked with Andrew Pitt. Oh yeah. Um, Andrew Pitt yep, was Pitt. really good. Um, but then I kind of, I felt like just my game kind of hit a bit of a ceiling and I just wanted to look into a few other parts and I was sort of a curious mind as well. So mm-hmm. initially I had a couple 3D sessions um, with Ryan Lumsden, right, um, yep. who's from South Australia. Um, and that kind of got me curious about sort of the biomechanics side mm-hmm. of things. Mm-hmm. And then that sort of led me down the path of seeking out someone else. And Yeah, sure. Um, and that sort of led me to Dana in um, Dana Dahlquist in, in the US um, when I saw him. So it's sort of, yeah. But I mean, if you look at where my swing was when I moved to Mel- uh, Melbourne and then, you know, after five years with Pity, mm. it, was, it was a pretty big, um, yeah, yeah, pretty yeah, big, big game. Change. Yeah, and uh, so you are you a little bit Bryson to Sambo in the in the way you look at swings now, are you? <laughs> um, probably, I don't know. You love it? Not yeah. I, I love technique and golf swing. Yeah, and stuff. yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know. Yeah, I guess a little bit. I like knowing what I'm doing, but I mean, no one really knows what they're doing. So, <laughs> but there's yeah, there's a yeah. certain level to that I like knowing yeah, sure. what's happening. Um, yeah. and I think, you know five years of study doing an engineering degree when mm. everything's about how things work and how things, mm. especially mechanical engineering, which is what I was doing, which is all about moving parts and, and that sort of stuff. Um, it's sort of been ingrained into me to try and want to understand how a machine like the body works. So it's all yeah. part of the confidence, isn't it? When you, it's all part of the preparation. Like if you, if you get on yeah. the course and, and know that you're moving well and, and you're in the spots yeah. you want to be, and then you add your mindfulness to it. You, yeah. You've got the full pack. Well, someone like Bryson DeChambeau as well. Like he, the reason he's good is he fully wholeheartedly believes that he's smarter than everyone. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like he sort of comes across a yeah. little bit, yeah. <laughs> but I've heard but he, some great stories about him though. Yeah. Sharing his, uh, you know, with the little kids and um, yeah, he gets a bit of a yeah, bad no. rap, I think. Yeah. He gets a bad rap, but like yeah. the reason he's good, he might not be correct in some of the stuff he says, but he fully yeah. believes he has better information than anyone. And because yeah. of that, he has the confidence. Yeah, exactly. That yeah. I'm like so much higher than everyone mm. else that he just plays well. Like, yeah, exactly. Yeah. It doesn't necessarily have to be right, but <laughs> you just got to believe it. Correct. Oh, I think you're onto it, mate. Yeah. Golf is such a, uh, uh, no one's been able to put their finger on it sort of thing. And it's, yeah. it's, it's nice to, you know, delve into the conversations with people that are in the, in the sport. Yeah. It's got, there's so many aspects to golf. Like it's about perfecting everything that mm. that's what makes it so interesting. I think like oh, never, you never, you never bored trying to get better (laughs) no exactly exactly and no one can reach perfection with the game it's just Mm. yeah (laughs) so far away from everyone um that uh, it just keeps on driving people so yeah uh, and sometimes that's a detriment too right some some people go i need to do this need to do that and they they lose themselves a little bit in their game that's sort of happened over the past so yeah i've definitely made a mind sort of did that it's funny have you heard of a guy called tom powerhorn no i haven't he plays a bit of aussie tour stuff and it was funny because he, mm. he was quite a good player coming out of the amateur ranks and then turned pro, sort of like me, did a university degree. Um, but then turned pro, got his card in Oz, um, played, you know, decent his first year, played decent his second year, and then at some point decided that he needed to change everything because he was never going to be like a world-class player. Right. So went through like, 
over like basically a year of just trying to change his swing, yeah. change everything about what he was doing mm. and then just couldn't play. <laughs> and then mid in the middle of that year, he decided to just forget everything and mm-hmm. just, just play golf, like golf on a golf course, like mm. didn't even go to the range. Cause like for 18 months, he was just hitting balls on the range constantly trying to change his swing. Sure, sure, sure. So when he went the complete opposite and went to the golf course, every time he went there and just played nine holes, nine holes, eight holes, yep. nine holes, nine yep. holes. And then three months after he did that, he won an Aussie tour event. <laughs> it was just like the funniest story. Oh, well, um, it's it's a, then now, an experiment, right? It, it's, yeah. yeah. But it's funny now he's like lost the drive again. Cause he's right. like, it's just, he's, but obviously at the moment for pro golfers, it's a tough time. Like, yeah, especially yeah. like the, the lower tours, like the Aussie tour and that um yeah the know, money and the, yeah, yeah if you're relying on that little bit of money and then there's no tournaments on mm. well yeah you're in a tough position so is there any anyone you want to shout out to for um their help or um uh, over your journey this thus far do you want to mention um, yeah just i'd say i got a mate um he owns a business called golf studio yep um in morty alec um and i've been able to practice there and work on my game there and that's been great but matt um, who's one of the owners there he was on the bag of the Aussie Open um, and he was just great great for me there and, and we get along well and we hang out all the time and he's a great guy and uh, yeah big shout out to, to Matt and Golf Studio yeah fantastic Morty I used to live in Morty man it's a great Did part you? of the world yeah mm. yeah no it's good it's good down there um, yeah I love the, the the setup he's got there he's got track man in every bay he's got two golf sims Oh, and a coaching area and a big putting range. So it's, oh, it's, it's like a driving range. Is it all inside? It's like it? an indoor, it's like a big factory, basically. Right, it's right. like the, the back, back house of a factory. They've just cleared it out and put in like a bunch of hitting bays. Yeah, cool. It's a really cool setup. Check you should it go out. check it out. Yeah, I'll yeah. check it out for sure. That'd yeah. be awesome. I love that sort yeah. of stuff. Yeah, you love it. Yeah. Mate, I appreciate your time again. It was nice chatting. And now, as I said, I hope uh, after you come back, we can uh, have yeah. a chat about how it went. Yeah, for sure. For sure. All righty. Thanks, Jack. Too easy, Lucas. All right, mate. We'll be in touch. Yeah. Catch you later. Bye. All the best, mate.